everybody, and welcome back to Infinity Watchers. I am John, joined here as always by Jared, and you are listening to our Eternals preview. As as we head into uh, the, the week of release for Eternals right now as we're recording, um, we wanted to just throw a little preview out there, um, just give you some of our, our thoughts on the film, maybe throw out a few predictions, um, as well as talk about um, a recent comic uh, run that we read which is uh, Neil Gaiman's Eternals. Recent. It was 2006, 2007. This ran. This is 15 years old. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Well, we read it recently. <laughs> yeah, I guess, I guess that's a better way to put it. <laughs> phrasing. Phrasing, phrasing. So, so Jared, I guess um, I guess before we get into the film um, and all of all of our thoughts and predictions on that, why don't we why don't we kick it off with our discussion about that comic run? Yeah, yeah, why don't we? Um, it just it would help to give a little bit of just a tiny bit of background on, on the Eternals. I mean, they're they're a relatively lesser known character to mainstream audiences, at least um they're well known in the comics community. Um, but this is not to say this is the first Jack Kirby set of characters we're getting, but this is the first predominantly Jack Kirby characters we're getting uh brought yeah. to the MCU, and I'm I'm very excited for that. Um, I mean, Thanos was the other large one that we've gotten lately, but just for a little bit of history, um, Jack Kirby has had a very uh, fraught relationship with Marvel uh, when he was alive. But uh, back during his tenure with uh, the original Marvel comics, um, he moved over to D.C., did the new gods there and then came back and did the Eternals. And he was always fascinated with this idea of these cosmic beings or these godlike beings or, and where humanity came from and where um, where life comes from and starts asking these larger questions. Um, who has the power to give life and who has the power to take it away? Things of that nature. So he kind of ran with that with Eternals. And in 2006, uh, Neil Gaiman and... John Ramada Jr. had the chance to kind of rebrand, not rebrand, but reintroduce the Eternals into the Comets canon. It was supposed to be set against uh, Civil War, which was the main storyline running in the canon at the time. And I gotta say, they did a hell of a job combining this into that time period in in the Comets canon. Because I think... Um, you, I think you've read more Neil Gaiman than I have, but uh, Gaiman kind of follows in a similar trajectory as Kirby does coming in and out of comics. He also does novels. He does movies. He does TV shows. Like he's, he's a, yeah. he just writes in general for, in different mediums. Um, and he's also kind of shared that fascination with gods, right? Know? Like he wrote Norse mythology, which is kind of his take on a lot of, uh, traditional Norse, uh, stories. Um, he's written and produced uh, American Gods, mm-hmm. so he wrote the novels, and then, uh, the novels, and then the the HBO series as well. So as well as uh, Good Omens, which was mm. that um, right? Which was the uh, the Amazon series that was well, it was a, it was his first novel, but uh, mm-hmm. which was then turned into an Amazon series with David Tennant and was it Martin Short, Martin Freeman, I, I Martin Sheen, Martin Sheen. I I did the Martins yep. all mixed up. <laughs> 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 um. So yeah, he's always had the, the same fascination with 
um, these larger deities. And Sandman's like his most prominent comic that that he's known for um, mm. dealing with dreams and alternate realities. Uh, what happens in those dreams? Um, so he had the him and Ramada Jr. had the opportunity to bring the Eternals back into the comet canon, comets canon. And it kind of re kind of repositioned everything that has happened up to this point that led to the events of civil war. It kind of put that in a perspective to where it almost, this, this doesn't matter to an extent. Like, yeah, you know what I mean? It scaled that, that event down quite a bit. Yeah. To throw this in, in the middle of civil war, <laughs> Right. Um, which is kind of a smaller scale, very earth centric um, storyline that is very much hangs its hat on like the interpersonal relationship between the characters um, and to kind of chuck a, a nuke at the planet, basically. Really? Yeah. It with this. Um, <laughs> but I think what's fascinating and um, Polygon put out a pretty good article about this in July, just kind of like a revisit of uh, of Damon and Ramada's eternals comets um one of the facts or one of the interpretations they pointed out was that that the civil war series dealt with personal identity and identity crises quite a bit and i think this works this run of the eternals works very well because a lot of the or all of the eternals are going through this a similar crisis of identity and crisis of faith of mm-hmm. who they are who who they've been where they've come from they're kind of given this rebirth of knowledge of knowledge and their identities of who they were thousands of years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it definitely was an interesting angle to take, not unlike to kind of compare it to other MCU things you see before with uh, Captain Marvel and having the, the lost identity and memory wipe aspect mm-hmm. of it. Um, I mean, this obviously is a bit different because these characters have a history at the point this comic picks up. Um, right. So there's a little bit of a mystery there, too, you know, knowing that these uh, these beings have existed in the Marvel canon. They have existed as Eternals, not as their human selves. And all of a sudden, you know, this comic starts off with them not remembering any of that. <clears throat> um, and they even play off of, you know, Cersei's involvement in, you know, the 90s, our time with the Avengers, uh, with Tony coming up to her and, and trying to to recruit her back into the Avengers mm-hmm. and she has no idea what he's talking about. Kind of interesting uh, from that perspective. And yeah, I get, I can understand those themes. That's kind of a funny little, uh, I guess I don't want to say it's an Easter egg, but a kind of a little nod to like the, I mean, personally I didn't cause I, I don't read that many comments, but uh, I didn't even when I was younger, but it's kind of a little nod to those fans that, that knew about uh, Cersei being, in the Avengers back then, but like for mm-hmm. those of us that didn't know, it's just kind of like we're along with her. Uh, it's kind of like yeah. this little meta in joke with everybody or with the audience. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Like, like you're also wondering it and wondering if that's uh, actually a true thing until you mm-hmm. look it up and realize that it is. Um, <laughs> so that, yeah, I, I, uh, I can understand where you know thematically it does kind of fit into what they're going for at the time of Civil War. So what were your what were your thoughts on kind of the characterization of the Eternals as they are in this versus what we've seen of the film so far? <laughs> uh, that's a little tough. Um, <laughs> so that's that, that's that's honestly a tough question to answer because we haven't seen much of the I mean, we haven't seen the Eternals yet, but we haven't 
we haven't gotten too much from the trailers about it. So I, I can start. If yeah, you go want ahead and give, start on this give one. Because uh, uh, I, I came up with a question. It's a pretty big one and okay. kind of unfair to lob at you with no preparation. That's fair. So um, I think it's really interesting just to see how much liberty they're taking with this property and how comfortable they feel mm-hmm. taking that liberty. Um, whereas, you know, they might not have had that luxury in the past with other properties. We kind of talked about it with Shang-Chi as well, where they were working a little bit with a blank slate. Like, you know, the, these characters are beloved by some, but they're far from mainstream. So they have a little bit more leeway in what they can do. It's not like they're making a Spider-Man film where there are certain expectations that majority <laughs> of the people seeing the film are going to have. Right. So um, it seems like they have... I think made a lot of changes for the better, um, you know, gender swapped some characters, but even then from what we've seen of the, of the film so far, it seems like they're just kind of going in completely different directions with some of these characters, giving some the spotlight over others. I don't think Zerus is a character we're going to see in the film. Mm-mm. Um, you know, they gender, gender swapped Ajax, gender swapped Makari, um, mm-hmm. which seemed like great changes. I mean, it, it was heavily weighted towards males mm-hmm. <laughs> in this comic. Um, uh, there are a couple players in the film that we don't see in here, like Kingo, Gilgamesh. They aren't really referenced in this um, too much. But no, and I think that uh, that kind of works in the in the property's favor, because at the end of this this comic series, uh, Zeres does say there are 90 others out there. Yeah, to exactly. to awaken. So, I mean, we could be getting many more different variations of these characters that we're not even aware mm-hmm. of. Yeah, yeah, yep, definitely. Um, you know, one one takeaway from this is like what they do with Thena in this just makes me. I, I can picture Angelina Jolie in this comic run <laughs> as Thena. Like, it's such yeah. a perfect casting, isn't it? It is. It's it's pretty unbelievable. I mean, all the other castings look great as well, but that that one looks like the one, maybe along with Icarus, where it's like we're staying exactly true to what this character was in this comic <laughs> run specifically. Um, yeah, I guess, and which in, is kind of interesting in terms of Icarus uh, when it came to Richard Madden being cast. Like, is, is Rob Stark really cut out for this? And then we get the trailer <laughs> and think, oh yeah, he is. And after uh-huh. reading this, it's like, yeah, he definitely is like that. Like mm-hmm. Rob Stark in the MCU actually kind of works to 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 a certain degree. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I do like as I was reading this, I kept thinking that Angelina Jolie's like at least public persona and like Thena's character uh, tend to seem to have an overlap of sorts that actually mm-hmm. works very well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Absolutely. The one that I'm really interested in in seeing what they do um, is Sprite because Sprite has a very <laughs> like critical role in this. Yeah. In this series. I mean, full spoilers for the series, but I mean, effectively Sprite's the villain. Right. Which is, which is really interesting. Cause you look at guys like Druig who were evil in their own right, but mm-hmm. not maybe outright <laughs> evil to the Eternals. I guess he wasn't as much, but he had his own agenda that he was yeah. trying to get pushed through. In, uh, I in, can I can I, I'm not even gonna try and pronounce the country name. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. and it seems like we might be getting some of that where he has kind of like started his own cult or something in the film. It looks like, mm-hmm. but um, 
I'm really I'm really curious to see what they do with Sprite because that the whole thematic argument and it goes back to identity of I've been stuck as an 11 year old forever for like thousands, my entire tens life. of thousands of years. No like, one ever treats me like an adult. Like that. That's a pretty interesting villain motivation. It is. Um. So you you almost wonder that aspect of the character obviously is still in play here in the film. So uh, I'm curious to see if anything anything comes of that. It doesn't have to. I'm not expecting it to, but it it is an interesting motivation and an interesting um, direction to take that character. Yeah, the entire the, the whole time I was reading this, once I got to that part where he where Sprite reveals that that he's been using the Celestials energy and like suppress and like suppress the Eternals memories and like wants to essentially wants to die. Um, yeah, <laughs> that um, I was curious if they were going to go that route in the movie. And I I, I, I genuinely don't know, like is is, or, is Sprite the one that will be the one that kind of gets the uh what's the uh what's the event referenced the emergence I the think. emergence i mean we know that the thanos snap the or, yeah the, the, the second snap is the one that causes the emergence to bring the celestials mm-hmm. back to earth from the trailer but i wonder if sprite has been working with the deviants in one way or another in in the mcu it could be I, i'm almost wondering if they're going to take some plot lines from this in the in the form of like a celestial inside the earth like because that to me like an emergence doesn't sound like something coming back from space it sounds like something coming out so um, i'm kind of curious if they take that you know that there's this deep slumber celestial under the earth that's coming out or something Um, i mean that's what we get from this too exactly that's what i mean yeah i think after reading this it's a definite possibility with Sprite, I mean that the final scene was pretty heartbreaking, but yeah. also it seemed kind of like what Sprite wanted mm-hmm. um, to die, and it, it was just—I thought it was a kind of a beautiful scene. It was Sprite and, and Zerus, right? And I like that. Like we see Zerus snap Sprite's neck, and like I, I had to linger on that panel for like a good five minutes. To, I did like, too. It's like, thank. Am I really reading what I'm reading? Like, yeah. Sprite got what he wanted in the end, and yeah. I I feel bad because yeah, yeah he's been a kid this his, his entire life, but he uh, never got to experience the experience what it was like being older. Yeah, he never got there. Yeah, you think just like leaving him mortal and letting him live out his days would have been? I don't know. It seemed a little um, cruel. At the same time, though, Zerus had a had a responsibility to the Celestials of keeping yeah. keeping order. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and it, that could be an interesting theme to see carry over to the movie too. Is like taking orders from the Celestials, but at what cost? You know, right? Like, because, how far are they willing to go to obey the orders they're given? Because it it's addressed in the trailer that Kit Harrington's uh, is it da- is it Damien Knight, Damien Dane, Dane Whitman. Whitman. I don't know. I keep wanting to say Damien Knight because it's Black Knight, <laughs> Dane Whitman. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, I mean, he does address at one point the the question of well, why didn't you guys help when Thanos arrived, or why didn't you help when half the world disappeared, or better yet, like I, I mean, I don't think it's too spoilers just to say some of the things that crit- critics have written about lately. But like, Fastos was involved in like the nuclear bombs that were dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, like. Uh-huh. They had uh, they had some influence in some places and not in others. So I think mm-hmm. that does 
leads to a, a great question of how much can we interfere? How much are we really doing to hurt or help humanity? Yeah. Um, back to that question of identity of what am I really believing in? If the celestials tell me I can do nothing but interfere unless a deviant is involved, then the themes of this, it just brings me completely back to our conversations about the TVA. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? Yeah. It's like, we're taking these marching orders. Now I think the celestials actually spoilers for Loki actually exist. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. There's, there's no getting around that. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, you know, that, that idea that they are the front lines guiding humanity down. It's like best course, helping out intervening only when it's necessary like what what are they actually doing you know what right. what course are the eternals or what course are the celestials trying to put the earth on so it's really really interesting to it's going to be interesting because i think those questions will be raised and there's going to be a little bit of like a reckoning among among the eternals and probably some infighting and betrayals and so yeah but i mean overall this i really enjoyed the the series it was a little wordy at times um yeah, I had to like keep very, the... very light on action. Yeah, well, I was <laughs> for... fine with that because Which, uh, yeah, I, I was expecting that going into it. And mm-hmm. I mean, the action we did get, it was pretty. Uh, it it stands out when it happens. Um, the whole the fight in front of the Celestial in the final issue. Uh, I'm not I'm sorry, not the final issue, but the. um but then that's the last issue, which was supposed to be the the final one, but they added their game and needed a seventh. Um, I thought it was neat and interesting to bring in um, Jan, Hank, and Tony to mm-hmm. kind of like give some context to that whole or to kind Civil of bring War. Yeah. to bring in some war context and like every time the argument starts to escalate the, the panel like zooms out to like how far down they are from or what, what their scale is in relation to the celestial as he's standing. Yeah, there. exactly. <laughs> like none, none of this matters. You guys like, <laughs> I, I love the, the panel of Icarus and Hank talking while Hank's in the yellow jacket outfit of like, Hey, just, just stand there and block the sun. <laughs> That's all we need you to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he There's, was like, is that really well, all you've you, been you... mind controlling me the whole time, right? <laughs> He's like, yeah. He goes, no, just go over there and sit down. <laughs> He's like, oh, I hate this. <laughs> By the way, Tony, uh, he knows that you've been faking it this whole time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was, uh, some some good interactions there. Yeah, but uh, this this is... A, I, I thought Mark Curry... Oh, I can't think of his full name. Macari. Macari. <laughs> I guess so. Um, I thought he was a weird character to kind of be the eyes of the audience with on this because we we go a lot of the series without him. You yeah. know, like like we're introduced to to Icarus, <laughs> which I still laugh. I giggle a little bit every time I see that. That Mark Curry. <laughs> Mark Curry. <laughs> every time we, I mean, we start out with him, and like you think that we're going to go through like this entire journey with him. But then we see Thena and we see Circe and their paths. And then Circe and Mark end up crossing. Mm-hmm. We see, um, Sprite sprites. We see, but like Sprite knows what he is. Does Drew know what he is? Does Drew know that he's an eternal? I don't think it's ever outright referenced. He knows he has, pa- he 
he knows he has power. I don't think he does. I don't think he understood what his like part was to play and everything. Mm -hmm. Um, but he knew he had, he definitely knew he had mind control powers. Right. Um, so to see just this regular ordinary person find out that he's a, a millennia old (laughs) being that like has the, has, uh, this the speed power and is essentially a god like it's an interesting place to take it but the, there was a lot more i wanted to see from that arc i thought yeah yeah it kind of it, it was pretty abrupt mm-hmm. like the change like there was so much lead up up to like the the point in the party like when he first activates or knowingly activates his powers i guess mm-hmm there was a lot leading up to that of his story and who Mark Curry is. And then it just like kind of flipped the switch and you got a few lines of dialogue towards the end about, you know, how he, he was happy as Mark with Cersei. And even though his life was kind of hectic and he's working like 30 hours Mm -hmm. or 28 hour shifts or whatever. Yeah. It it did feel pretty abrupt um, for that change to happen, given like how much time at the beginning we spent with him. Because it was that, almost like they didn't know what perspective they wanted to tell the story through mm-hmm. um, a bit. And I, I mean, I would probably say that he and Cersei are the two main characters. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I, I think we did get a, a good bit of Icarus, Dina, and Sprite. And I thought we got a pretty interesting and nuanced look at the Deviants as well. I mean, they're the ones that end up tricking Mark into handing over Ike mm-hmm. or Icarus, depending. I don't know how, how you want to distinguish the two, but Icarus, um, yes. Icarus, Icarus, Just call him Icarus, Icarus. Icarus. <laughs> um, I I liked how we did a little more of a nuanced approach to them as opposed to um, deviants just being these uh, being the villains. Like, and from what I understand, in Kirby's interpretation or in Kirby's original run, they were just straight up villains. Mm-hmm. Like here, they're almost like religious zealots at a point or to a oh, point. Oh, for sure. And like they believe that the gods are going to save them or they're going to like mm-hmm. help them. Um, but they're like they're cave dwellers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they literally live underground. And I thought it was interesting to see them looking up to the celestials or wanting the celestial to help them because the sleeping, sl- the slumbering or sleeping celestial is the one that created the deviants, wasn't it? I don't think he created them outright, but he stopped the other ones from eating them. That's right. Because <laughs> they, they knew they reproduced in like insane numbers and they mm-hmm. would just like leave them on a planet, come back and eat all the deviants as food. Just that was their sole purpose pretty much, I think. Right. So then that starts to, that, that begs the question of like who gets to, who has the right to stop the celestials from doing something like that? Because I mean, yeah. I mean, just coming for me personally, that just sounds like a very abhorrent thing to do of like creating these beans that you're going to end up eating. And my God, I just described vegetarianism and veganism. Yeah, I was, I was, I was just going to say, uh, have you eaten burgers, <laughs> chicken sandwiches, KFC? I mean, we are recording this on a Sunday, so I know you didn't eat Chick Fil A, <laughs> but <laughs> but like you know what I mean, though. Yeah. <laughs> of uh, like like if the Celestials say that don't uh, like don't kill these guys. They're our food. Yeah, then... it, it's it's 
it's different because they the entire concept <laughs> of a deviant came from the celestials they right. like created this entire race just for them to eat like it's not it's not a natural circle of life type of thing i don't think at least i don't know maybe you could argue that it is if they're just like the top of the food chain but i mean when you think um, about it the celestials really aren't good beings <laughs> uh, i mean they're supposed to be like neutral supposed like, to be they're just almost um yeah i mean isn't that then know. begs the question of the sleep the sleeping celestials the one that says that uh in the future we will come to judge this planet like well, who are you to judge what like mm-hmm. who's a, a celestial being who knows nothing about this planet to say what is good and not good about humanity yeah exactly i thought it was interesting that he becomes a tourist attraction as well <laughs> um and like looms over san francisco i wonder I, I thought uh, one of the most fascinating and interesting parts of this, and I know we're not getting this in the movie, but uh, when the sleeping celestial wakes up, it the, the the cosmic universe zooms out to Galactus, and you just see it on his face of "Oh no!" And yeah, then it zooms exactly. out to the Watcher, and he goes, "I can't look at this anymore." <laughs> yeah, I know. I laughed at that. It was like for the first time in a millennia, Galactus felt fear or something. It's like, oh jeez. <laughs> <laughs> and the, wa- the watcher thought that they were done with. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was almost um it was almost like a comedic cut <laughs> for a second. <laughs> um but yeah, I I really liked a lot of the the questions that this raised, even if it didn't give a lot of straight answers and I'm kind of glad it didn't. Um I liked the vagueness of it. I think I would want to go back and reread this with the knowledge of like what happens in it. Cause I think, uh-huh. what, I think what my problem with it was, was getting into it. You're given as, as we just said, one of the problems was kind of the perspective shifting. I mean, at the beginning you're given Mark's perspective and you're given Thena's perspective and then you're given yeah. like, two or three others at once. And it, it's just kind of jumbled at first and they're throwing all this terminology and lore at you. Yeah. And, I, I understand that in comments, you only have like five to 10 issues to tell a story in. And that's maybe 20 to 30 pages every month. But it, I feel like I, I would want to go back and reread this with the knowledge of who everybody is, what their motivations are, who is who they are. Like I honestly thought Drew was going to have a much bigger role in all of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't realize that he was an eternal until like, literally three quarters of the way through the series uh whenever he went to um Zerzas Zerzas Zerus Zerus I'm sorry I'm I'm horrible with these names so the the Eternals <laughs> review is No the Eternals review is going to be a fun time <laughs> <laughs> Um so I I I liked a lot about this and I definitely want to revisit it yeah, same here. Um, um, this I mean, this was kind of the last big flagship Eternals run until recently. I mean, obviously they threw them back into the canon and made them more prominent because they're trying to hype the movie up. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd really like to come back and revisit them. Um, I know they've you know reused the Celestials down the line. I read an Avengers run that centered around, um, centered around them from a few years ago. It was pretty interesting. But I'm interested in the characters as a result of this. Um, I'm curious to see how they, you know, take what this laid and what Kirby laid and what's going to be laid down in, in the film and kind of merge that into 
the the prime like Marvel Comics universe, mm-hmm. the six one six. So we'll we'll see, we'll see where that goes. Anything else you want to add to the our uh, book club of the week? Um, no, that's really all I have to add right now. I would like to go back and look and read some of Kirby's original issues and his, yeah. his uh his not, well I guess his, not his take but his vision of what these characters were mm-hmm. um to see just how much they changed from the 70s up to 2006 and then look at the reintroduction in 2020 of these characters like this is a, this is a really fascinating set of characters to look at using mm-hmm. uh, different different characters and different uh, gods from different religions and kind of like putting them into a, a, a stew or a soup of of yeah. mythology yeah that that was an interesting aspect that was kind of touched on and brushed right past in this one and i assume mm-hmm. it's something that's delved into a little bit deeper in kirby's run but like you know makari being osiris and mm-hmm. well actually not really osiris <laughs> i think we found out later but um yeah it was kind of really interesting really interesting so with that being said, let's talk a little bit about this film. So we're, as of this recording, we're a few few short days away mm-hmm. from the, the release of Eternals. Um, I think you and I are both planning on checking out uh, checking it out in theaters, which is, which is exciting. I think this is one that you're going to want to see on the big screen, uh, yeah. given the, the cinematography that's going to be on display. Definitely. Uh, this was shot by Ben Davis. Who uh, has worked? Who was the cinematographer for Guardians of the Galaxy, Captain Marvel, Doctor Strange, also um, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, A Long Way Down, Seven Psychopaths, The Right, Best uh, the Best Exotic Marigold Hotel. He's he's been a little all over the place, um, and most notably, this is directed by Chloe Zhao, Oscar award winning director for Nomadland, um, Indie Darling for The Rider. Um, I've been extremely excited since she's been announced for her take on what, or what she can bring to the MCU. I I have talked up her work on this podcast over, over the months that we've been doing this. Um, and I'm really excited. I'm still excited to see what she has to bring. I know some of the initial reviews have been kind of all over the place, but I'm still holding out hope to see what she can bring what what's different that she can bring to the table yeah absolutely so am i i mean i always like when when marvel goes out and with a you know an off the board pick i mean at the time her name wasn't very well known but you know since then she's won best picture so i mean you can't say that and that was just you know happened to be a, a a good pick on on Marvel's part because I mean she was rumored and then announced to direct this far before she won her Best Picture award. So um, you know Marvel they know how to pick their their directors. I mean there have been a few missteps along the way, um, but they they've done historically a great job of letting these directors and these filmmakers put their print on the film that they're directing mm-hmm. and not just. You know, they're not just kind of stand-in directors. Right. So I'm excited to see what what kind of leeway they, they gave Zhao. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really excited to see what happens. And how... So overall, how do you think this will fit into the MCU? We know it, it obviously takes place post-Endgame. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but how do you think this fits into the MCU overall? And what what do you think the implications may be? Not to say predict an ending, but like bringing these in, these godlike features into the MCU. Oh, that's that's kind of a tough one. Um, I think the biggest implication, bigger than the Eternals themselves, is probably the introduction of the Celestials. Mm-hmm. I think that opens a lot of doors on the cosmic side of the MCU. Um, you know, you could use them as villains. Um, you could introduce and give us some more backstory on Ego, some more backstory on the skull that's on Nowhere. Um, I, I think, you know, our our view of the cosmic side of the MCU has been linked very strongly to Infinity Stones, like across mm-hmm. the board. <laughs> Right. So like it's cool to see something that's going to be unrelated part. Well, sort of unrelated. I mean, I guess the snap using the stones is what kicks off whatever is happening here. But um, I'm excited to see that. And I think that's kind of the bigger implication here. Um, The Eternals themselves, I could see them going on. You can you can envision this just becoming its own franchise. Right. And having having some sequels down the road and crossovers um, depending on, you know, I would assume some of the Eternals aren't going to make it out of this, but you never know. I think that would be safe to say as well, which I, uh, I I don't want to speculate on who or who does or doesn't make it out of here, but that would be interesting to see some, some characters die off at some Mm -hmm. point. There are two that I would like to speculate on. (laughs) Okay. Um, and this is purely based on my own like read of the trailers, <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh, maybe just using some other logic that could easily be worked around. But um, the first one would be Ajax. I feel like we have seen her on the farmhouse, and that is it. <laughs> like there, in the footage we've seen, there's been very, very little of Selma Hayek's Ajax character. Um, so I'm kind of wondering what's going on there. You know, being the leader of the Eternals. You would expect to have seen a little bit more from her. So does she, you know, does she die early in the film? Does does something happen? I I don't know. She's in she's in like the the character shot in the teaser of like all of the of all of them lined up. Um, she is. She's standing right next to uh, Icarus. I had kind of assumed that maybe this might just be my own brain linking two scenes together, but I had kind of assumed that's like their arrival on Earth, like three thousand. That's possible, but I don't know. That could just be my own incorrect read. But then the other one I kind of question is Sprite. We talked about it a bit. Yeah, after reading this, this, huh? After reading this run of it, it's possible that this version of Sprite doesn't make it out either. Yeah, but even then, if you look at, I mean, the actress they cast and the character that they cast her for is like this is uh, she. I think would probably she's fourteen years old now. Mm-hmm. Um, Leah McHugh when she filmed this I think probably would have been three years ago so she was probably around 11 or 12 um, so I mean she's gonna get older <laughs> mm-hmm. and this is a character that is not supposed to age and it's supposed to just be like we reference it in the in the comic run but like Peter Pan right <laughs> um, yeah I mean I mean Sprite outright acknowledges that in the comic he was the inspiration for, for yeah. Peter Pan. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, in this one she's um yeah, it's possible that she doesn't make it out just on the logistics alone. 
They I'm also a- could very easily dance around it, and she's given some kind of wish fulfillment thing at the end to be able to grow up. <laughs> like you know, it's they they dance around this kind of stuff all the time. Uh-huh. Um, but it, it is interesting to see that you know they're they're of all the characters they've selected, you know, from the Eternals, they did use Sprite and mm-hmm. filmed an 11 or 12 year old in the film. So isn't going to be 11, 12 forever, but that's just, uh, uh, those are just two that I, I wonder about. Um, so, yeah. So yeah, we're, I don't want to, I'm not saying we should wrap it up yet, but I just want to kind of address, uh, I don't want to say the elephant. Yeah, I just kind of address the elephant in the room. But like we're recording this the Sunday before this is released. And obviously critics have seen this already and it it's starting to tank in its ratings. Mm-hmm. The the reviews that are coming out are mixed. I'm I'm very curious to see I, I can't stand the Rotten Tomatoes measurement. I think it's shallow and pedantic to just call a mo- or say a movie's good or bad by a, a, a an aggregate percentage yeah. uh an aggregator percentage um reading the reviews are the best way to actually acknowledge like whether a critic enjoyed something or not what they did and didn't like about it what their read on it is because it's possible they're looking at at this through a different lens than what you're looking at it through it's all about perspective i mean mm-hmm. your your definition of a seven out of ten might be what I would call a five out of 10, for example, right. you know what I mean? Like you, whatever rating you slap on the end, <laughs> that really doesn't matter. So that's just, subjective. that's just kind yeah. of like a, a summary of like, would you yeah. recommend this or not? Um, yeah. Like, yes or no. like that, that's what I, I don't like about number scores or, and why we really haven't done any on this show. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad we never really stooped to that, but yeah. like it, that, that's really supposed to just be a summation of what your thoughts are, not mm-hmm. what your thoughts are. Um, but I'm curious to see, though, as much as I don't like the uh, the percentages on Rotten Tomatoes, what the critic rating is versus what the audience score is. Now, granted, at the time we're recording this, we already know that the movie has been review bombed. Yes, by trolls, unfortunately, on IMDb. Uh, people are mad about the representation. Yeah, as always. Mm-hmm. I mean, people. The, it happened with Captain Marvel. It, um, I don't know for sure, but I could assume it happened with Wonder Woman. So it's it's. Uh, I don't think that one as much. I, from what I I don't remember seeing much about that one, but the one that always comes to mind, yeah. we've talked about it on this show a handful of times, was the Last Jedi. Yeah. Yep. Was the one that divided um, critics and audiences. Uh, ended up getting review bombed. I'm I'm curious while we're sitting here what it's certain what it's sitting at on Rotten Tomatoes. So right now, at with it, it it's sitting at sixty percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Mm-hmm. The critic, the critics' consensus overall right now is an it's an ambitious superhero epic that soars slightly more often than it strains. Eternals takes the MCU in intriguing and occasionally confounding new directions. So I mean that's pre- <laughs> that's pretty much as middle <laughs> of the road as it gets. <laughs> yeah, I mean that. Uh- that's what I'm expecting from this. I think a lot of the negativity I've seen from the reviews is, you know, it's more MCU movie than Chloe Zhao movie, which I, I mean, duh, I don't know what like people expect. Like you want, uh, what I want is an MCU film with a Chloe Zhao flavor. 
See, I'm the opposite though. I want a Chloe Zhao movie with, with I know, just like, kind of like her take gonna, on the MCU. Yeah, but I mean, we're not we, gonna get that. Unfortunately, like, we're not. So I gotta taper my expectations a little yeah. bit. But I'm going back to 2017 and The Last Jedi when when it was announced in like 2015 or 2016 that Ryan Johnson was directing The Last Jedi. I immediately said I don't want to see a Star Wars movie directed by Ryan Johnson. I want to see a Ryan Johnson movie set in the Star Wars universe. And that's mm-hmm. what we got. Yeah. But Lucasfilms has been a little more lenient when it comes to stuff like that. And then they had to walk it all back for Rise of Skywalker. I think mm-hmm. Disney kind of learned their lesson with that. <laughs> and that's why we're getting more of an MCU movie with Chloe Zhao's direction. Yeah. I feel yeah, like I mean, if, uh, if the if there wasn't a backlash to the Last Jedi like there was, we might have gotten what I was looking for there. Yeah, and I think with I don't I don't mean to say that this will not be a Chloe Zhao film. No, I think it will be, but I think you know the parts that people get have gotten disappointed about in the past and seem to be at this time are more of you know oh it it is a superhero film at its core, mm-hmm. and I mean that's it, it's a it's a comic book based movie about superhero aliens. <laughs> like I, I want what I'm hearing about it. I love, like it seems like the people who want the more standard MCU fare are disappointed at the amount of dialogue and like world building. Like it's too much. Like there's not enough action. It's too slow. And the people who want the Chloe Zhao thing are complaining about the too much, like the superhero epics. But like to me, I'm I'm thinking like that sounds like a really good middle ground for me to exist. in. <laughs> like I, right. I want the slow dialogue. I want the character work. I want the the world building and the, the lower dumps. Well, with but cons- I also want like, you know, the, the fights. I want to see what their powers are. Yeah. And I want the epicness. So. Yeah, no, that that all made sense. And I think to address the whole lore dumping and exposition he- uh, the, the heaviness of the exposition that has been coming out uh, as a complaint like i mean we were just talking about about Gaiman's run like it was very wordy and very word uh-huh. heavy and very dialogue heavy there wasn't much action in it and when you when you're talking about concepts of faith or crises of faith religion ideologies and ideas of power structures in or between cosmic beings and who created man you're <laughs> going like you need yeah. to be dialogue having exposition heavy yeah you could do um you could do a completely visual version of that i can't think of any off the top of my head but i know they exist um but Disney's- i mean w- one thing that i think it does it really well is the uh interesting to black panther like speaking yeah. with mcu like that was like a, a two minute visual, you know, granted there was narration, but explanation of the history of Wakanda. And it's very similar. Like we have the this group of people that are secluded from the rest of the world and people are going to have questions about why they didn't interfere, why they didn't help out when Loki attacked New York, like why all this other stuff didn't happen. Mm-hmm. And I think they have a chance to do that here, albeit at a much larger scale. Right. Yeah. It's, it's like they're introduced. It's almost like they're, introducing a whole new aspect of this universe that hasn't been seen yet we know the cosmic element is out there we've gotten guardians of the galaxy we've gotten the thor movies we've gotten what happens in infinity war and endgame but we've never seen like and we've gotten captain marvel but we've never seen just truly how large the scale of that is 
it's almost like this has to like literally come in and like literally break apart a seam of what this universe or what that aspect has. Even just the Celestials, they're the very concept of them is so out there and so high level that it, it's going to be so intriguing to see how they translate that to screen like it's just how are they going to talk how are they going to speak is it just going to be kind of telepathic do they do they have mouths that are going to going to be animated and move like is it is it audio speaking so everyone on the earth can hear them like it's kind of the same thing you have with galactus like how how is that represented um i think he's a little bit bigger but still at the same time it's it's just high concept high concept um space power structure like that's that's what i'm gonna take away from this is this is the first step in kind of identifying and laying out the power structure of like the cosmic side of the mcu for us Mm -hmm. we've seen i mean we've seen the celestials in like a vision or whatever that was in the collector's lab and guardians and we've seen ego who called himself a celestial but i don't think he's like a celestial that these are i don't think they're one and the same they could be but and then you know we've seen other cosmic entities like like thanos um and now i mean we've seen kind of like the tva and the watcher now too but at the same time it's these are a different beast this is kind of like a, a new entry into the natural order mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's going to shake things up there's going to be exposition to explain that um and you you still have to kind of define it all in a way that doesn't make all the other stories feel small mm-hmm. which right. is a an interesting task i think to take which is tough because what we just talked about at least one of the things i liked about the game run was that it made the rest of the the canon feel small potatoes compared to what yeah. is really out there <laughs> exactly it's it's a tough balance because you don't want things to feel meaningless when we see eternals and then in two weeks we watch you know hawkeye hawkeye and, and clinton kate are just like blasting through new york hitting like gang members <laughs> like the most <laughs> we're going from the most cosmic thing to the most street thing street level mcu property we've had to this date like it's an event like we're going from a, a three thousand year old race of aliens fighting space gods, <laughs> or fighting another three thousand year old race of aliens, versus straight into an Avenger fighting gang members. <laughs> like it, it, it's crazy. Like the breadth of MCU properties we can get. Yeah. Um, but I mean, overall, I'm just like I'm really excited. This is the biggest blank slate that the MCU's had to work with yet. And I'm mm-hmm. really excited to see what they can do. I think what's kind of interesting is that this is coming out two or three weeks after Dune. Well, Dune part one came out. I went to see that this past week, uh, the theater up the street was playing it. And I, I really wanted to see it in theaters. There was th- that, that book, I have tried to read. It is way too dense for me to even to get too far <laughs> into. I'm not a big science fiction reader, but I liked what I've read and I'd like to try it again. So I was very skeptical going into it and I was very excited for to see if it was going to be done. But the, the Dune series like is nothing but just it's it's literally space politics put into writing oh for sure and to film something like that is almost an impossibility i mean it's been tried multiple times and it 
bombed every time. Finally, Denis Villeneuve and his team got it right and decided to split up the the the, the first book into multiple parts. Mm-hmm. The first part that just released on HBO Max a few weeks ago, it is almost nothing but world building. And there is there are maybe three or four very great and exciting action scenes that take place in it. But you also in in those action scenes, you see the scale of what we're working with here. And I think that's what worked so well and what kept at least kept me captivated for mm-hmm. the two and a half hours I was sitting there was seeing the scale of what's going on. They're introducing these different factions and these different um, these different individuals that have parts to play on Arrakis and what their perspectives are and what they're trying to achieve with Arrakis and the spice trades. But I was never confused by it. And I think that's I I don't it's unfair to compare Eternals to Dune, but it's kind of the same idea of there's so much world building that needs done that I feel like it, it. it is going to be an interesting comparison given what critics are saying about this. That, that was one thing they loved about Dune that it was at, at points it was action heavy and like the back the half of it, to... it took its time. It did the homework to build up to those or it took the time to build the characters, their relationships to this world and their relationships with each other that by the end of it, it felt incomplete because it definitely is a part one. But we at least it at least kept me interested in what is to come, and I hope Eternals can do the same. Yeah, that's that's an interesting uh, perspective. I still haven't watched Dune yet, but I have been making that comparison in my head. I mean, you know, it's this, these two high concept sci fi franchises, mm-hmm. um, one with maybe a little bit more of a uh, a history and fan base around it in Dune, mm-hmm. but. You know, you have these ensemble casts, these huge sweeping vistas that are on the film, mm-hmm. and just the the amount of world building that that both of them have to do. It's it's definitely interesting to see them come out just a few weeks from each other, mm-hmm. um, and I think people will make that comparison just naturally themselves as well. So yeah, those those are my thoughts on what uh, on either what to what I think to expect or at least what I'm looking for. Um, I'm I'm excited. This has been one of my most anticipated movies of the year, and mm-hmm. I'm I'm I'll taper my expectations given that we know now that it's an MCU movie with the Chloe <laughs> Zhao twist. Um, but I'm still very excited for this. Yeah, same here. I cannot wait. I can't wait to be back in the in the recording booth, uh, hitting our review. So. Um, make sure to join us for that. This re- review will be you're you're listening to this prior to seeing the film, presumably. <laughs> um, but you know, make sure to also check out our our thoughts on Shang Chi and Venom. Uh, we dropped both of those episodes last week. Finally, got around to editing <laughs> the Shang Chi review. Um, I I very much apologize for that. The but past it's two out months before have been pretty hectic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. out, it was out before Turtles. That's the, that's the main goal. Um, but yeah, as always, thanks for listening. We hope to to have you listening in to our Eternals review um, here in a few short days. So for Jared, I'm John, and we'll catch you next time. Mm-hmm.